Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi, this is Christy Hemi, and you're listening to Talking Metal. This is Damon Fox from Big Elf, and you're listening to Talking Metal. You're one step closer to doom. This is Chris. And Maria from In This Moment, and you're listening to Talking Metal. All right. Hey, this is Chris from Lamb of God, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hello, this is Tony Iommi, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're listening to Talking Metal. <laughs> hey, what the hell's going on? This is Zach Wall from Black Label Society and the Ozzy Osbourne Band, and we're all doing a hang, throwing back some cold ones, and we're Talking Metal. Take it easy. This is Blasco from Ozzy Osbourne. You're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, it's John Astronomy. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal, hanging out here at Midtown Manhattan with Mark Striegel. Hey, John. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mark. Yeah, we had an interesting conversation with Blasco. A lot of you guys know Blasco from his work with, of course, Ozzy Osbourne. He also played with Rob Zombie and Danzig, and he has done stuff like management work for In This Moment, uh, very talented uh, renaissance guy. He is doing a karaoke thing, which is very interesting, uh, heavy metal karaoke with a, a live band, a band that features him. How cool is that? Yeah, it's amazing because the contestants get to go up there and sing with Blasco and some other great rockers, and uh, you know, it's like a chance to go up and play with stars. Cool. Well, Without further ado, let's get into the uh, interview with Blasco, and we're going to come back later and hear an interview that was conducted by Victor, a.k.a. Marzeri2005 from the Talking Metal forums, and of course Mars Attacks, uh, with Robert Fleischman, formerly of Vinnie Vincent Invasion, formerly of Journey. A guy, he wrote Wheels in the Sky by Journey. Uh, Wheel in the Sky? Wheel in the Sky. Yeah, I think that's the song. He wrote that song, uh, co-wrote it, I guess, and... Um, Never sang on a Journey record, so we'll hear it from Victor and Robert later in the broadcast. Right now, here's a little Ozzy Osbourne, 11 Silver, featuring Blasco, and we'll get into the interview with Blasco right after that.
Hey, this is Mark from Talking Metal, and on the line we have Blasco. Hey, how are you, man? Good, man. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Blasco. So, Blasco, you are on today to talk about something I think is really cool. You guys are doing heavy metal karaoke in both Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a simple scenario. I mean, if you're familiar with the way karaoke works, uh, it's similar in that regard, except for the fact that, you know, you're playing, you know, you're getting up and singing songs with a real band uh, as opposed to just like a backing track or something. Cool. And can you talk a little bit about who actually is in the band with you? Sure. It's it's me. Uh, you know, I play in Ozzy Osbourne and Rob Zombie and Danzig, et cetera, et cetera, before that. And then uh, Tommy Victor from um, Prong and Danzig, and uh, he was in ministry as well, is um, going to be playing guitar. And uh, on drums, we had to uh, shift around our, our, our initial um, idea of guys that we had in mind kind of fell through because of scheduling conflicts. So now we're using Alexi. He, play, he used to play in Three Inches of Blood, and he plays in Prong now. Oh, cool. So that's, that's the core band. And then we also have Phil Barone, who's going to host the show, um, he used to play drums in uh, Skid Row and Saigon Kick, and he's uh, most currently known for his um, reality TV debut on Dr. Drew's Sex Rehab. <laughs> right. Very good. So what I think is great is that people will get a chance to get up on stage and actually get to perform with real touring musicians. Uh, I mean, I'm not even a, a lead singer, but I think it would be fun to do that. I think it would be fun to do that, too. I mean, it, you know... If I had the opportunity to do that, I'm pretty sure that I'd be all about it. Definitely. Cool. And it also seems like it could potentially, you know, be a place where somebody might actually step on stage and, and get discovered or at least have their, their voice heard um, to, you know, a, a good crowd and a lot of people and possibly industry people like that. I, I think that, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, those things do happen, you know, whether or not it's going to happen with us, you know, uh, sure, it's, it's, it's possible. And, you know, um, it, it could be one of those, uh, you know, steel dragon kind of scenarios or right. something, right? You know, and, uh, and stuff. But yes, I suppose that's a possibility. Now, you guys are doing all sorts of like classic hard rock and, and heavy metal songs. Did you have to go back and go back to the CDs and actually put on the CDs and maybe learn for the first time or at least relearn some of these old standard metal songs? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I suppose that the good part is that, you know, the familiarity with the songs themselves is already there. But in terms of, you know, yeah, we, we'd have to sit down and, you know, learn the songs specifically, sure. But, but also, too, I mean, it's like whether it's like a, a white zombie song or an Ozzy Osbourne song or a Black Sabbath song or a Danzig song or you know right. something like that. It's like, well, those we already know because those we play all the time. You yeah, know? sure, and, sure. <laughs> so, but stuff like, you know, you know, Balls to the Wall or like ACDC tracks, you know, it's like you're familiar with them, but, you know, you got to sit down and you got to pay attention to them a little bit, you know. Now, I know that you guys are going to keep it to mainly the standards the classic tunes at first. For example, you guys are, would rather probably do Run to the Hills than maybe like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, sure, we would like to be as adventurous as that, you know, but the reality is, I mean, you got to figure, too, it's like, who's really going to know that song? Right. And whether you're going to get up and sing it or whether you're going to be in the crowd enjoying it, it's like we don't, you know, we as the dudes that have to learn the songs, we don't want to waste our time with the chance that maybe one in every 150 songs that someone's going to pick something as deep and obscure as that song. You know what I mean? So we kept, we kept in the things that were going to be easy for like a novice to get up there and bang out on one try and something that also that the, the, the people in the crowd would enjoy hearing um, because they're familiar with it as well, you know? Besides the Ozzy stuff and the Black Sabbath stuff and the Danzig stuff, what are some of the uh, songs you think you're going to enjoy playing the most? I know you just mentioned Balls to the Wall, which sounds like it would be fun to play, but uh, what I other think, songs? I think, you know, the, I, and I think, we did pretty, I think we did pretty well in terms of analyzing songs that we think would be crowd pleasers, you know? Right. So, so uh, all the Judas Priest stuff I think will be really fun to play. Um, 
you know, I mean, hell, I mean, even even to go as far as like a Slayer or Pantera stuff, but man, like how how fun is it going to be to play to do like Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot and, and stuff like that too, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's, there's a pretty good range of, of, of crowd-pleasing moments, I think. So I, I think all of it is going to be really, really fun for, you know, everybody involved. Now you, you guys are starting with a two-month residency at the Whiskey in L.A., and what is the club in Vegas? It's, uh, the club is called Wasted Space. It's actually at the Hard Rock in Vegas. Oh, cool. And then are there San Diego dates, too? Uh, we, we're not sure yet, you know. Um, just kind of hashing that all out. You know, we don't want to, like, overdo it. But, yeah, hey, man, if there's, if there's people that are demanding to want to see it, then by all means, like, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. You know? Cool. And, I mean, here in New York City, uh, I remember last year going to a straight-up uh, karaoke bar, and it was a $15 cover to get in to sing along with, you know, bad music tracks. And what I was reading online is this, you guys are only going to be charging, like, 10 to 12 bucks cover to get into these things? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's 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 it's like, great. Yeah, you get to pay ten to twelve bucks, and you get to go see a bunch of people from major touring groups, which I think is great. Uh, you know, as opposed to one of these regular karaoke bars where you pay fifteen bucks and you you know you hear some guy playing like a record. So I think this is a a cool thing. And one of my questions is. Will anybody win every night? Is there going to be a winner selected, like the best singer? Uh, you know, I think that we're going to put together something like that. The one thing that, that's for certain is that everybody that sings wins. Everybody that sings is going to walk away with a gift bag of contributions from our sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So everyone that sings will definitely walk away with something. And I think that we are going to put together some sort of contest, like some sort of you know, crowd-participated contest in the sense of the best singer of the night will get to come back the following week and get to sing with us again, you know? So um, there, there, will be, there will be some sort of contest. We haven't exactly figured that all out yet, but the one thing that I can guarantee is everybody that sings will walk away with something. Cool. And is there a chance that, for example, maybe you're doing a, a Danzig song and maybe somebody like, just hypothetically, Glenn Danzig could pop up on stage with you guys? Well, wouldn't that be interesting? Um, (laughs) That is, there will be surprises and there will be guest appearances and and kind of like what you're saying. Um, I think we'll probably try and keep it more to like guitar players and drummers and and things of that nature versus singers because we want want the the people in the crowd to be able to sing, you know? And so if, you know, so that's, that's kind of the idea. But hey, what, you know, what if someone like that popped up you know, and, and was able to sing the chorus with you or something, you know. So I, I think that it's going to be a free-for-all of, of guest appearances like that. And, you know, who knows? you got to kind of get, kind of, you know, got to come and, and check it out for yourself. And, and uh, what will happen is yet to be determined. But it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of surprises like that. Cool. Very well, cool. With the circles you guys travel in, I can, uh, I can almost guarantee the listeners out there that there will be some probably pretty big name special guests stepping on stage <laughs> with you guys at some point. And yep. we we know you're staying busy with uh with Ozzy and, and his music and band, but how about your um non musical stuff? I was reading online that you do a a T shirt thing for affliction. Can you talk a little bit about what that actually is? Well yeah. Um the, I'm like a music liaison for affliction clothing, uh and, and what that translates to loosely is that uh I, you know, I put them in touch with the, the rock community and vice versa. You know, I, I get the rock community, I get them clothing from Affliction for them to wear, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but part of that situation is they're like, well, we should do a shirt for you. You know, we'll do like a Blasco Affliction shirt. So I don't have like a line or anything too deeply complicated. I just like, I have a shirt, a, a shirt, like a co-branded Blasco Affliction shirt that is available like on the online store. And um, that that's that's that that's that. Very cool, cool Blasco. I I have the Aussie one. Uh, the it's a brown shirt with a, a cool rosary on it, and uh, I've got an right. Affliction shirt on now. I actually don't even know uh, who who this one belongs to, whose signature shirt it is, but uh, it's it's blue. It's got a couple of skulls, and I, I think it's very very cool. Uh, Blasco, we wanted to jam with you like a long time ago when we were trying to put together the In This Moment jam for the Talking Metal TV show. And uh, I'm going to see those guys tonight. And the next time either we're in New York or you're in New York or we're in L.A., we got to try to reorganize that jam. 
Oh, dude, I'm, that'd be awesome, man. I mean, you know, if uh, if you guys are LA or you know in LA or Vegas or something, you know, why we're doing this heavy metal karaoke thing? There's a good opportunity, and if not, then you know, whenever I'm in New York, we'll we'll you know we'll do something for sure, man. Very cool, cool. Blasco. Thanks. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And uh, you're still doing the management thing with in this moment. Oh yeah, no, still got all that going on. You know, I mean, uh, you know, no no sleep till Hammersmith over here, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, we're going to have all the uh, info linked through the show notes in today's podcast where you can uh, get information on uh, Blasco's heavy metal karaoke. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with it. Yeah, uh, heavymetalkaraoke.net. Um, and then me is blasco.me. Those, those, are, uh, those are my hubs. Cool. Well, thanks, Blasco. Man, we definitely got to hang out soon, and I would love to attend one of these and uh, maybe get up and do a little jamming with you guys. <laughs> Dude, that'd be awesome. Cool. Thanks, Blasco. Bye, buddy. Have Take a good it one. easy. Yeah, Thunder from the Kiss Tribute record Spin the Bottle featuring Blasco, Bruce Kulick, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins, and our friend Carmine Apice. So guys, Happy New Year again. Hopefully 2010 is going to be a great year for all you guys. Uh, Talking Metal, it'll be our fifth year coming up in August of 2010. will be five years of Talking Metal on the uh, internet. It's pretty amazing how many people we interviewed and how many episodes we've put together. And, uh, you know, it's been a really, really fun time. Let's do something special for the, uh, the five-year show. The Christmas show, I thought, turned out great. We had the, the Metal Nurse and uh, Halford and Metal Mike, all from our live show that we had done previously. But it really worked out well as a, as a Christmas episode, so... All you guys who celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a, a great holiday. And let's get into a little classic Vinnie Vincent off the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion record with Robert Fleischman on vocals. This is a song called Animal. Any insight into this song? Uh, John is the kiss expert. You know what? I don't have insight into that tune, but Boys Are Gonna Rock, which is off that same record, which was the single literally came out of a demo from On the Eighth Day from the Lick It Up record. There definitely are some similarities between both songs. Interesting, interesting stuff. And Robert has, uh, I heard this interview when it was, of course, on the stream for uh, Mark Striegel Radio, which you can catch on my blog in the upper left-hand corner. There's a link to the stream there. Mars Attacks airs every week, Thursday at 8 o'clock. This is, of course, an interview from the show Mars Attacks that... Uh, Victor is letting us play on Talking Metal. But I, I caught it when it was on the stream, the Robert Fleischman interview. And he says some really kind of funky stuff, cool stuff. He talks about Mark Slaughter, Dana Strum, the guys in Journey. Not everything that he says is all that flattering, although he does say some some flattering things about people too. So all you Kiss fans, you should definitely check this interview out. All you Vinnie Vincent fans, for sure. And uh, let's get into the interview. 
We'll just tap right into the Mars Attack show and hear what Victor has to say. And uh, then we'll come out of the interview and wrap things up. Robert Fleischman, former lead singer of Journey, former lead singer of Vinnie Vincent's Invasion, composer, songwriter, and uh, orchestrator of uh, many different uh, soundtracks. Um, his work over the years speaks for itself. And uh, we're going to uh, discuss some things from going all the way back to the 70s, uh, where he started out in Journey, going up to... Uh, the present day today and what uh, Robert's doing. So, uh, Robert, how are you? Fine, thank you. Fine, thank you. So, um, initially, I guess anyone that's checked into your history will know that you were one of the singers uh, in Journey. How did you meet the guys in Journey, and how did this opportunity come about? Oh, well, Victor, that's a long story. Um <laughs> I was actually, um, I was living in Los Angeles in, um, in Redondo Beach, and I was leaving an apartment, and um, I was moving out of the apartment, and I had packed up everything in my car, and I uh, forgot to uh, give the key to the landlady, so um, I went to give the key to the landlady, and I heard my phone ringing, and I I run upstairs, and um, there's this phone call from um, someone from Chicago, and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in going to Chicago and checking out these bands, and you know, pick out one and uh, start performing with them. So um, it was kind of like really uh, a magical time because I had nothing really going on after I left this apartment, and um, so I got on a plane and went to Chicago and uh, checked out a couple of bands and I picked up this band that I thought we would uh, do, you know, do well with. And uh, we started playing around in Chicago and opened up for Cheap Trick and uh, at various um, clubs in uh, Chicago. And then eventually um, I got a phone call from a man named Barry Fay, who was a promoter 
in Denver, and he was like one of the biggest promoters at the time throughout the United States. He used to do the Rolling Stones and the Who, and everybody who was anybody, um, you know, went through Denver, and he he um, he was the promoter for Denver. Anyway, um, I did a showcase for CBS there in Denver that he put together, and um, people came from CBS from uh, West Coast and East Coast and saw me perform. And I was like in Denver like for seven days, and I put the I put a band together, wrote like like six songs in that time, uh, really fast, and um, performed. And then after that, I got a phone call from the people from CBS in Los Angeles asking me if I'd be interested in going to San Francisco. So I uh, got on. I, first, I went to L.A. and had a meeting with them, and they told me who the band was and all that, and it was Journey, and Journey at the time was a rock fusion band, and um, they just uh, were just selling just so much units, and so the formula was, let's throw a lead singer in front of them, so I went to San Francisco, uh, we went into SIR, a um, rehearsal studio there, and um, we just started playing, and we had a great chemistry, and things just turned out really great. And uh, I toured with them for less than a year. Um, there's a YouTube uh, video of the, those con- some of the concerts, one from Hawaii. And um, then after that, I, uh, uh, I don't know, just uh, left Journey because of the management situation, because my manager... Um, I had a deal with my manager where he took a certain percentage from me and Herbie wanted the, a certain percentage from me. And so I was sort of being really sandwiched. You know, I have a dollar and I'm going to end up with uh, maybe 35 cents, but the rest right. goes to managers. Huh. So I just kind of, um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see doing this. And, and um, Herbie had a, um, uh, I guess sort of like a bit of a personality problem with me which was sort of hidden from me all that time. And, um, and you know, they would uh, bring Steve Perry around as uh, disguised as somebody's cousin. Huh. And, um, and so, I, you know, I go, oh, who's this kid? You know, who's this guy? My kid, he's much older than me. But anyway, um, <laughs> he, uh, uh, he was hanging around backstage, and I never put it together until way later in, in, in the uh, story. So... I ended up, uh, you know, leaving the band and um, just kind of said, uh, forget it. And uh, through it, they said, well, you know, can we have these songs and this is? So I gave them Wheel in the Sky and Anytime and Winds of March. And um, then I uh, got signed by uh, Clive Davis from Arista Records. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, he uh, uh, put it together with Jimmy Iovine. Who uh, you know did YouTube and uh, you know worked with John Lennon and, and you know Tom Petty, right. everybody, and um, so did a record and toured and opened um, around um, the United States, opening for Van Halen, and uh, did some shows with with uh, Boston and uh, Sammy Hagar, and that was great. And then uh, after that, I sort of just um, came home and was going to write another album, and uh, things were kind of screwy at the time. Uh, there was that big oil shortage way, way back then, right? And uh, so they weren't they weren't uh, putting out um, uh, records unless it, they were going to sell like a you know like Barry Manilow, you know? Sure. They know they're going to sell a million records, so they they pump those out. So. I sort of kind of like got on the back burner and then I just decided, well, I'm just going to start um, writing again. And then I uh, just kind of took it easy for a while <laughs> and um, and just experimented at home, just recording all kinds of different music and listening to all types of music, um, you know, because, you know, you can do rock and roll and rock and roll and rock and roll every day, but... Mm-hmm. I really believe if you don't expand your mind in the sense of, you know, venturing into other um, kinds of music, 
and then you're kind of like always drawing in, in pencil, and you never sure. get a chance to draw in color. You know? Right. So I've, I I listen to classical music, uh, Prokofiev and Rachmaninoff, and all the you know romantic uh, composers, and um, and I just would listen to stuff like that for about a year, mm-hmm. and then I would listen to African music for a year. And then I listened to electronic music for about a year. And just, I'd always thought that listening to stuff pretty much for a year, you would uh, eventually adapt and okay. get a, a sense of the accent or the formula of that type of music. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing rock and roll music and you, all of a sudden you go, well, I'm coming to, to the bridge now and what should I do here? And, and somehow, some always I go, I think, like, oh, okay, I'll think... Uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll think uh, Japanese or something, you know? Sure. <laughs> and I'll just, like, throw throw something kind of odd in there that's kind of Japanese, and and uh, it, it works, you know? Sure. It's just kind of odd thing. So, you know, you have to have a... Um, it's like building up your vocabulary, basically, mm-hmm. your musical vocabulary. Yeah, and I, I think... Uh, boy, no, no, boy no. I, I think that's an excellent point where uh, if you look at a lot of... You know, some of the more versed artists out there, they have an open mind to anything or to everything. Uh, in the end, melody is the same regardless of what type of music you're listening to. And I think it's very foolish if you don't open your mind up to uh, different types of music, as, as you're saying. You know, uh, even if rock is the core or the foundation of what you're doing, there's no reason why you right. can't you know, spice it up a little by uh, bringing in different aspects from other types. Right. Of and it's always, it's always a, your, I, it, it, it always, it, it, you always have something to derive from, but sure. it always, it always is a hybrid because it always gets translated differently, you know? Right. Uh, absolutely. So then, that, then that makes it unique. Right. Absolutely. That, that yeah. definitely distinguishes, you know, the the boys from the men, per se, where, you know, someone that can actually go in and, as you're saying, you know, bring in unique aspects and make their music different to everyone else is what ends up being lasting uh, after all the time. So, Right. And, like, when I write songs, I always, I mean, I like writing, I, I like playing electric guitar and all that stuff, but I really find that if I, I always write my songs on acoustic guitar. Okay. And and so because if you do it with electric guitars, it seems to always color it. You know, okay. unless you're just, and so acoustic guitar, you know, it's like all so many chords you can play. Mm-hmm. You know, and but what makes it what gives it the sophistication is the melody. So sure. You know, you could have the simplest chords in the world, but what makes it sophisticated is the melody. Right. And so I just, um, I've really been lucky in the sense of, I, I, re- I think I have a really good sense of melody, you know. Sure. So uh, I think that's what's kind of kept me afloat for all these years. So, in other words, regardless of whether you're approaching, say, some type of a soundtrack where it's going to be, say, uh, 90%, uh, I don't know, electronic music, do you still sit down and imagine everything uh, on an acoustic guitar first before... Well, no, not side? for sound. No, for soundtrack stuff, it's more of a sound that that kind of that kind of dominoes the, the 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 thing. Okay. The, the writing, you know, like a sound. You have, you know, it's like uh, you have to. Like, there's a, a a chase scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, automatically, people just go for you know, like drums going, you know. But sometimes it's, you can do it without doing that in other in other ways. You know, so okay. I always try to find. I always try to find that other way. I I, I find it more fun and interesting and sure. and uh, more challenging. So normally, when you're composing a soundtrack, is it something that you always have? Say the um, the visual in front of you. You have that chase in front of you, or is it presented to you? And uh, is a story presented to you, and then you sort of have to compose something based upon what's what's given to you not so much the actual well, yeah, image. yeah yeah uh, you get segments of 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 uh film sometimes and you uh just you, it's like that's your segment so then you just do your best to uh, accompany it and uh, and okay. magnify that 
what's going on there on the screen. Sure. But um, yeah, so you know, I I did that for a while in my in my career, and then I was with a, a publishing company called Almo Irving Publishing. Okay. And I wrote songs there, and um, and I was like supposedly like the pop rock uh, writer and then um, I was signed to the company and I was there for like about um, almost four or five years and um, it was a nice paycheck and everything like that but then all of a sudden disco not disco music but uh, uh, what's it Whitney Houston came out of the blue okay. and then everything turned R&B you know huh. and so and then it's like I'm sitting around there just writing these, you know, pop rock songs and, and nothing really happening with them, you mm-hmm. know, except the only good thing was getting a check, you know, in the mail. Sure. But um, did that for a while. And then I got involved with um, Vinnie Vincent. Okay. And um, there was a, a friend of mine who was a, a songwriter, and he was writing songs with Vinnie, and he told Vinnie about me. And so Vinnie called me up. And uh, I met with Vinny at my house, and you know he was uh, he had he had some little demos and stuff like that of, of songs, and I thought it was pretty wild, and and I I was sort of in the situation where um, I felt like doing something really kind of wild, you know, something at eleven, sure, you know. You know? And um, so that was the opportunity, you know, like if you were a painter, it's like being able to, just to you, you know, it's like you always did landscapes, you know, and, and everything and everything was nice and formed and mm. you know, all the subject matter. Well, this was sort of like, well, here, get the bucket of paint and just throw it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was sort of like that, my approach to Vinny. And a lot of things on that, on, on, the, on Vinny's, um, on those, those records, he would just give me the... Um, he would just give me a vague idea of the melody, and he would just throw these lyrics at me, and then I would I'd go out in the you know studio with the microphone and just kind of wing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was just all that stuff was just really kind of off the off the cuff. And then later, you know, we go oh that that kind of that, that 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 part that verse really worked there. So then you know the first verse worked and the second verse didn't work, but the melody was really good on the first one, so then we could continue the melody on the second one. And sure. So it kind of worked and, 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 and was pieced together like that. Okay. So and, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to mention. So in other words, most of the music, for example, for that first Invasion album was more or less all worked out and – he was just giving you uh, more or less his interpretation of where you wanted to go, and you sort of took it from there, in other words? or Yeah, I mean, he wrote the music. He wrote the songs, you know, but he just, uh, you know, the, the, the structure was obvious and the way the, the, the lyrics were, were obvious that they fit in, you know, that four-bar structure of the verse or right. um, here's the B section. Anyway, um, yeah, it was just, he would just give me a vague idea, and I just would run with it. Okay. Were you involved in the process of picking the band itself at that time, or were you sort of brought um, in? Yeah. Um, I was just kind of brought in um, later on because what had happened prior was when I told you that Vinny had come to my house. Well, mm-hmm. then after that, he came to my house again, and we did some demos at my house. And uh, he took those demos and um, played it for Chrysalis re- uh, Records. Okay. And so Chrysalis offered him a deal, and he sort of like took the whole deal and left me out of it. Huh. So there was there was quite some time where I was being called by him and called by Dana Strum, mm-hmm. and um, you know telling me I should do this thing, and I just go no, I'm not going to have anything to do with this because, you know, I don't like what happened. Sure. You know, so um, uh, my my wife got pregnant, and uh, you know I was going to have a son, and coming soon, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, then you're going to have to really pay me. Right. So because I I just got you know to just to <laughs> to punish you <laughs> for what you did. <laughs> 
Right. And so um, I, uh, I struck up a deal with them, and I, I did the record. And then um, I uh, was there when we picked uh, Bobby Rock for the drums. Okay. Bobby Rock had, we were at some uh, rehearsal studio, and we had like a drummer come every half an hour. Huh. And and like just set up their drums, and then they go up there and they would play the drums, and Vinny would go next, you know, he would do the Caesar thing, <laughs> you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. And so, um, so here comes this guy, and he comes out of this out of this van, and he just, I mean, he made it through Arizona to L.A., and um, he just barely made it. His car was overheated, a whole deal. I mean, just sure. He just everything you could take to get there. He gets there, unloads the drums. He starts playing, like, just playing, like, you know, one minute. And uh, I just said to him, this is the guy. This guy's amazing. And Bobby Rock is the most amazing drummer. He's so, he's ambidextrous, you know. He can, he's just, he's, he can use both hands in, in, in odd synchronicities. Synchronization, mm-hmm. and um, he's just a terrific guy too. I, he's just such a nice guy, and uh, we've always kept in contact with each other. And he would come by my house once in a while, just to, just a surprise visit, and it was always a pleasure to see him. Mm-hmm. So I've kept my relations with with both, but my relationships with Dana Strom are are, are, are nil. I, I really particularly don't like the guy. Mm-hmm. He's a jerk. And uh, Vinny, Vinny was always super nice to me. He's always accommodating, and um, but Vinny just has his problems, and so sure, you know, we kind of leave it as that. Okay. Um, what sticks out to you the most out of recording that first Invasion album? <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard the story about him peeing in, in the control room well that's i mean i'm glad i ha- i have you on the uh, phone to ask you about that because that's one of those the many rumors that have uh, followed Vinny throughout the years and obviously if if you're telling well me anyway that... <laughs> Vinny was doing this uh, this guitar solo and he was uh he just kept going and going and the guitar kept getting out of tune out of tune out of tune and finally he just he just uh went kind of berserk and just got the guitar and threw it on the floor and next thing you know he's like he's peeing on it and it's just like you're hearing the sound of pee on on hardwood floor and just going oh shit so um it was just couldn't believe it and and so we didn't go into that studio for about three days because of the conversation that was inside that room right and yeah, it was horrible. Well, so, and it, it's funny because out of all the things that he could have picked to have done to the guitar, you know, smash it or or do whatever to pick peeing on it, you know, is definitely something odd, and I guess definitely something that would stick out. Yeah, I think it was more like a screw is <laughs> his head, but uh, you know. Rock and roll is so full of mature people, you know, he can't help it. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess historically you're, you're correct. There are so many uh, uh, infantile things that have taken place, so that's, I guess, just one of the many. It's just part of the movie, Victor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were there any intentions of you actually touring off of that album, or did things never get that Ooh. far? Well, um, it got to the point where um, uh, Vinny had this manager, and uh, he was just an oddball guy. He was actually, I think at one time, Kiss's road manager. Okay. And um, he wanted to become Vinny's manager, so he, he managed Vinny. And, um, and in a, during the whole time, he had told uh, Chrysalis that he managed me. And so then Chrysalis found out that he was lying to them and that, um, and so um, he came up to me during the photo sessions of the um, Invasion album, which is, was horrendous. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I, I look like the guy, I look like the guy posing with three inflatable uh, 
uh, transvestite dolls. <laughs> but um, I, uh, it was just weird. Uh, anyway, she comes up to me with a like a telephone book contract. I mean, a really thick contract, and he just tells me, "Trust me, just sign it." Wow. And I'm going. I'm going. No, no, I'm not going to sign. I'm going to look at it, and I'll have a lawyer look at it. And it just kind of got stupid. <laughs> and so he got yelled at from Chrysalis. Then Chrysalis said, you know, I, we want to sign. We wa- want you to sign to Chrysalis Records. And I said, well, great. You know, how much do I get for signing? You know, and so they said, we're not going to, you know, you're not going to get any, any anything right now. And, and uh, but, you know, if you leave the band, you might get a, an album out of it. And so I said, so you're just basically throwing me in jail just to sign my name, throw me in jail and, and put me into this mess. Right. And um, without without any compensation of nothing. And so I so I said, no. And um, they said, well, we're going to we'll take your we'll take your voice off the album. I say, well, you do what you have to do because you're going to have to spend so much more money to have somebody go into the recording studio and babysit, you know, mm-hmm. Vinny and and all his and Dana and all the other nuts involved. And you're just going to, I so you go ahead and do what you have to do. So then, like that, really kind of like they couldn't, you know, believe it. So next thing I know, I get a phone call, and. Um, and so now I'm, I had to sue Chrysalis Records, hmm. and um, and so the reason I sued Chrysalis Records was because um, I get a phone call, and this guy goes, this friend of mine goes, hey, they're going to show the new Vinnie Vincent uh, video on MTV. Turn right. it on. So I turn it on, and there's Mark Slaughter singing to my track. <laughs> so he's singing "Boys Got a Rock." Right. On, t- on on the on the video, and I he's lip syncing to my voice, mm-hmm. and so that was like the first Millie Vanilli, right? So well, I, uh, I I see Chrysalis for doing that, and then um, then after that, I just didn't want to have anything to do with any any kind of situation with any bands, right? I had had it, and. Um, so I just uh, started doing my own music, and mm-hmm. uh, I did my I put together my own like independent uh, record company called Spirit Box, mm-hmm. and I did some electronic. I put out released some electronic music that I did, some right. ambient music, some some electronic music, and then I did a, um, a record called Dreaming in Tongues, which is uh, acoustic guitars and cellos. And right. my friend Cameron Stone, Cameron Stone was the cellist on there, and he played with uh, Depeche Mode and, oh, and okay. this girl named Poe and mm-hmm. Poe and, um, and a lot of people. And so um, I really love that record. It's really organic. You know, mm-hmm. It's just acoustic guitars and cellos. And then, um, and then I got involved uh, later down the line with this guy, uh, uh, Serafino, this guy from... Frontiers Records. Okay. And I did a record with him, and um, which was a horrible experience again. And I didn't like that. I was working on the record in L.A., and the person that was representing him here in Los Angeles um, took my project and took it away from me. And they decided that they were going to mix it, and hmm. they mixed it. And this, uh, they had this guy who is now the singer. For Foreigner. Okay. Kelly, um, Kelly Hansen, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So they gave it to him to mix. I'm going like, why would they give it to him to mix? And so they gave it to him, and he has this little crappy studio at home, and and, and they just, you know, he just, he ruined my fucking project. (laughs) So (laughs) I was just like, I just had had it. You know, so even then more. Of a, I decided. What's that? No, I was gonna say even more of a reason to uh, to work on your own, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I just it just became the point where it's not. It's just better to be, um, to be able to do everything yourself. 
you can't depend on anybody, you know. Sure. Nobody's gonna inter- nobody's gonna do your brushstrokes the way that you do them. You know, it's always gonna mm-hmm. be their interpretation of of your music or whatever. So I decided I'm gonna just do everything myself. So then I did a record called Look at the Dream. Okay. And I released released that here in the in the states. And you can get you can get all this stuff on um you know um, iTunes or right. Amazon or, or or CD Baby. Mm-hmm. But um. I did uh, uh, Look at the Dream, and um, Look at the Dream took off and, and uh, was played on all, a, lot of, a lot of the radio stations in um, the United States. It went up all the way up to number six on Hot, hot AC, and, okay. um, and that was, a few, that was uh, about two years ago, okay. and um, it, it did really well, and uh, I got uh, a lot of airplay, and so I thought, you know, I would get a call saying, yeah, six months later after releasing the record that they're playing it somewhere in, you know, Idaho or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but it wasn't like that. The radio stations picked it up and they started playing it. And um, I didn't have a band together. I didn't have anything together. And here I was getting all this attention. And, and um, you know, like I said, it went up to number six. And, and I just, I kind of ran out of money. <laughs> Okay. Couldn't put any more money into it, mm-hmm. so I kind of let it, I let it like uh, dwindle down to nothing. Sure. And then I uh, decided that I wanted to put a band together, so I put a band together with a friend of mine, Andre Labelle, who played actually on one of Vinny's albums. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so Andre and I have uh, been friends for for a long time, and he lives in Virginia, okay. and I was in California. And he said he had a bunch of guys that it would be a great band and everything. So I said, okay. So I flew out to Virginia and we went into this uh, recording studio and we just um, played for a whole week. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just a great band and everybody got along really well and everything. So I went back home after a week and we talked on the phone and then eventually I had a, a manager friend. And we all went to Vegas and uh, rehearsed there. So everybody flew in from Virginia to Vegas, and we just played for a whole week. And it was just a great, you know, experience. And then we all left again, go back to Virginia. I go back to L.A. And then for about, you know, five months, we're talking on the phone, going, "How are we going to do this?" And I just decided that I was going to move from California to Virginia. Okay. So I'm right now. I'm speaking to you from Virginia. Ah, okay. And, and so I put together this band called The Sky, and it's the best band I've ever had, and it's the best it's the best rock music I've ever written. And um, you can see some um, clips that are on YouTube, and um, you know, so check it out and write a nice comment. <laughs> sure. And, um, yeah, and. Uh, so I'm really super happy, and um, I we just got out of the studio, and we've recorded 11 new songs, and um, I'm just finishing it up, and then I'm going to go to L.A. and mix the record, and then I'm talking to a couple of record companies, okay. and uh, hopefully it should be out in very soon, and next year. Excellent. Excellent. So we'll definitely yeah. have to... And, uh... this is, and this is something that I'm really super proud of, and I really love this band. It's just... Everybody's just great in the band. Okay, that's excellent to hear. I yeah, know. I mean, after all that dredging through my story, <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> right. No, I've, absolutely. And that's. I, I I think it's a good point that I wanted to bring out as well to to the different listeners is that you have stayed, you know, in music while others that you've worked with have faded. Uh, or have not been heard from for so long, and you have still been productive. And I think that it is great that you know you and Andre have been able to uh, work together after all these years, and that you're actually going to yeah. put something out that you're really happy with. Yeah, he's an amazing drummer. People are just going to, you know, when they get a chance to see him, they just realize what a great drummer he is. Yeah, I, I think it's shocking that more people don't know about him. I mean, I have the old bootlegs that you had recorded with Vinny and with him on the drums and just seeing stuff of uh, on his MySpace page, for example, seeing some of the work that he does is 
just unbelievable, and I'm surprised yeah. that more people don't know of him. Well, he's never really had a chance to be in a, uh, in a situation um, that got a lot of attention, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully this will be able to, you know, bring some attention to him, a lot more attention that he de- definitely deserves. Sure. Uh, no. So so for now, the sky is, is what your main focus will be, and for the foreseeable future, that's who you want to work with. You yeah. don't foresee ever collaborating with anyone outside of that. No, no, I really don't. No, I don't see. This is just... Uh, this is something I, that I don't want to fiddle around with. This is something that's, uh, you know, I think has a lot of longevity. Sure. And it's great music. It's it's really great music. I, I just I just love love the sound uh, of this band. It's it's um it's um you know two guitar players mm-hmm. and uh, bass and drums and and, vo- and vocals and me singing and me writing all the songs and. Um, which is really great. They were just great, great guys. I just, I just write everything here at the house, do demos, and I, I go to rehearsal, and I play in the demo, and and then everybody just kind of gives, puts on their flavor on it a little bit, and it, it is the sky then, and it's great. I love it. Excellent, absolutely excellent. Yeah. So, would you compare um, any of the music that you're doing with the sky with anything that you've previously released? Um, no, no, because, um, everything else that I've released is kind of like in the studio and sort of put together very methodically. Mm. And this is just, I I wrote all these songs geared for live performance. Okay. Everything is all geared for, for an audience. Okay. And it's just got, every song has a lot of energy and it's just heavy pop rock melodic music i mean it's just it's, it's good stuff it's my best stuff okay you know, a lot of people have said it sounds like uh you know the verve or or like oasis or the cult or or, or the killers you know very very commercial very very um you know strong um driven you know songs you know yeah, it's it's like you can be the greatest band in the world, but if you don't have it, the, the right song, you don't have the songs, forget it. Sure. And you're saying that you're so, shopping that around right now and that you're hoping to put that out next year, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be shopping it. It's, it's still in the process of being finished. I, have, I still have to do some vocals and have to do some a uh, couple of you know, some guitars on, on some tracks. But okay. then after that, going to L.A. and mix it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as the soundtracks that you've worked on over the years, is there anything that sticks out from uh, doing that type of work? Um, um, well, I did work on SpongeBob. Okay. And I, I really liked that. And, and I like that because, because of my kids. Sure. <laughs> but that's about it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I mean, ultimately, it is a uh, very popular show for kids and adults. I know plenty of adults that uh, watch that show. Yeah, I mean, I it wasn't on the air, obviously, and they they gave me the uh, the reel, and I after I was you know watching this thing over and over, I thought this thing's going to be huge. Right. I think so. I I um, had. Had done had done some music on it, and um, I brought it home and I showed it to my son, mm-hmm. who was like five years old at the time, and he loved it. And I thought, yeah, it's, this thing's gonna be big, you know. So, SpongeBob's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I definitely appreciate your time, and when you um, do put that Sky album out, I'd be more than uh, happy to have you back on the show to. Uh, Talk about the album if you'd like. The the door's always open. Well, thank you. Well, listen, it was really a pleasure. You take care of yourself, and, um, you know, I hope to hear from you soon again, and uh, take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks again, Robert. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.
Hey, that was the interview Mars Aries conducted with Robert Fleischman that originally appeared on Mars Attacks, and we thank Mars Aries, a.k.a. Victor, for letting us play replay that interview on Talking Metal. So I guess we're going to wrap things up with another track by Robert. This is Come Alive by Robert Fleischman on Talking Metal. Happy 2010, guys. I'm floating through the Above the clouds There must be some connection A message to be found For
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.